Hello, welcome to How to Get Into Law School, a Seven Sage podcast. Join us weekly to walk through the entire law school admissions process from application to orientation. Welcome back to the Seven Sage Admissions podcast, How to Get Into Law School. In this episode, we're going to be discussing why school X statements. And this is building off our previous episodes about personal statements and diversity statements. How's everyone doing today? This is Jake Baska, and we still have Aaron and Brigida in on these podcasts. Everyone ready to, to chat it up? We're eager to chat it up. Fantastic. Brigida? Same. Can't wait to get going. The, the energy <laughs> is palpable. Fantastic. So, hey, we're recording these podcasts with the assumption that a certain segment of our audience really is a... a blank slate regarding the law school admissions process. And so we refer to these school-specific statements as Y school X documents, statements. Brigitte, can you just explain what these types of statements are for our Tabula Rosa members of our audience? I think we were suggesting that students not use crazy phrases in their, in their statements, and you just use one that most people might not know what it is. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> you want to explain what Tabula Rosa means? It's Latin for, I believe, blank slate. Uh-huh. Okay, well, there you go. Tabula rasa, actually. Rasa. Sorry. Okay. This is why you have to be careful about using phrases of that kind. There's the first lesson of today's episode. Exactly. If you misuse Absolutely. them, you look none too bright. Sorry yeah. about that, Jake. And a reminder, we should leave Latin dead and in the grave. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, why school X? It's one of those things that different schools feel differently about them, value them differently. As you might see when you start looking at the applications, sometimes a school requests that you put a few lines about YX in the actual personal statement. If they ask that, you should do it because they want to know. If some schools require a whole essay about why you want to go to that law school, if they require it or ask for it, do so. Some schools don't suggest it in either place. And then the question becomes, is it useful to do as a separate addendum? It can be. I think there's a trend towards doing them all the time, always. And I'm not sure I agree with that trend. But if you have something very specific to say about that school, you want to show your enthusiasm, you have a personal link to the school in terms of like why you would like to go there rather than somewhere else. It can be location, but it also can be programs, courses, professors, activities, something that they're really known for that's really genuinely useful to you and important to you. That can be worth saying. I was just going to say, yep, it's to make sure we, we mention it succinctly. This is your opportunity to specifically inform the school in question about why you're interested in attending. And it can be asked any number of ways. So like the University of North Carolina law actually asks directly in their, their prompt, why are you interested in us? Other times it's a supplement. Sometimes it's disguised. So hey, Aaron, actually, I think my favorite subtly disguised one, camouflage one, is Penn's core value statement. I don't know, can you inform our audience about that one? <laughs> that one makes me crazy. You know, they, it's a prompt that contains this statement of, you know, here's, here's what Penn really values. And you're asked to sort of discuss how those, what those values mean to you and the ways in which you've sort of lived and manifested those values in your own life. And it is a secret why statement, but it's also, the prompt is not framed as a why prompt. So you do, everybody feels, and I feel too, it needs to sort of subtly call out the prompt and it can be tricky to figure out a natural way of doing that. I feel like it's a trap, you know? It's like meant to detect whether you're like repurposing another YSA for pen. And if they feel like you're not sufficiently adjusting it, maybe that's bad. I don't know. I'm just suspicious of it. I feel like their core values are, are general enough that 
what are they? Teamwork, collaboration. Brigitte, what were well, you about I, to say? I, I agree with Aaron on that. I think we've <laughs> talked about that before with just together. I think that it's a tough essay to write because some people are prone to want to just do a Y pen and it doesn't really work. Like you do have to call in parts of the essay. You have to talk about your values, how they match their values. So I think it's a, I think it's a tough one to write, but you can use some elements of the YX, but you, yeah, you can't just take a YX that you wrote for something else and plug in pen and, and pens programs. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't work. But luckily right. most schools don't have that. On that note of trying to figure out what Penn is kind of going for on that statement, that also raises the question of why schools even have these statements. Because, you know, shouldn't it be self-evident that I'm, I'm interested in attending your school because it's a good school? So why do schools even bother to have these, these statements? I think it's one of those things that started as one thing and became something else. Maybe. I mean, it'd be interesting to, to do some history assessment of this. But I think it was if you have a really special, really unique, really compelling reason on top of everything else to go here, let us know. And that could be helpful to us in making a decision because it would increase the chances you would actually attend, right? So I can see that being useful from the school's perspective. Oh, they're applying to 12 schools, but they're telling us that here's the reason why out of all of those, I'd really rather go to UVA or to Penn or to whatever. Okay, that's fine. However, if you write one to all 12, it takes the value out of it. The problem is, of course, the school doesn't know if you've written it to all 12 or just them. That's my problem with the trend of writing it for everyone. And in on that note of special interest, I would say we can broaden it out a little bit too, just to say, what specific interest do you have? Because I, I don't know, sometimes students are frustrated by these statements and, and feeling like it's another hoop to jump through. And I offer them that, you know, when you write a cover letter for a job, when you have a preliminary interview for a job, one of the questions they're going to ask you is, why are you interested in this job, in this company? And and the core answer is always the same, We but we never say it. And, and the answer is because I, I need money. I need health insurance because your swag is cool. Who knows what? But in, in the same way for law schools, you know, why am I interested? Because you're a good school and I want to be a good lawyer. But what specifically? Because all these schools are different. So it, it's nice to know that we would be a good fit for you, that you would be happy and healthy and would grow professionally if you were in our environment versus another school's environment. And of course, as far as the special reasons go, like, I mean, we could spend a whole episode giving some examples that we've seen over the years. But like, I, I would see statements over the years where students would tell me that their serious boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance was a current student. And heck, yeah, that's relevant. I mean, I'm a human being. I like keeping, you know, I like nurturing love, etc. So is that going to be a tie breaking factor if the student is statistically in our range? Heck, yeah. Or family ties or personal ties or who knows what. It's, it's good to know those kinds of special reasons, too. And I guess on that note, Aaron, what are some of the basic typecasts or archetypes you've run into when you've been helping students with these statements? It's hard to say whether they're the idea of an archetyped you know, in terms of these these statements is sort of problematic in itself because you don't you want to be writing the thing that is unique and inimitable, sort of. But I think to me there are sort of like three broad categories, three broad categories of statement, which it, it doesn't mean that you have to pick one. It means that maybe there's a place where the emphasis falls. So first, like you say, there are these personal connections, which to me always seem the most persuasive because they are it, they can't be anything but specific, you know? You can't be inventing the fact that your parents live in South Bend or whatever, you know? I mean, I mean you, I couldn't, you, you could invent yeah, it, right? Yeah. You could. But that becomes a character and fitness problem later when that lie blows up in your face. For our purposes, 
we can't admit the possibility that someone is going <laughs> to is going to just lie about that. So, you know, like you said, like a, maybe a partner is a current student or a partner has a job offer from that school. And like we were saying, like this is in a year when application volume is high and at a school and application volume is always high. They want to know that if they offer you admission, you're going to say yes. And if your husband is employed in that city, there's a really good chance you're going to say yes. Even if you don't, in a perfect world, wouldn't want to go to that school, you know, you might feel compelled. Then there's another, a whole other category, which is this school is going to offer me opportunities that other schools can't that perfectly align with my career ambitions. That is something that is pretty hard for students to get a handle on because you look at the websites of these schools, they all seem kind of the same. You don't want to be, you know, sort of guessing about what a school is like if you don't have much information about it. I think a common, you know, a problem I see is somebody will write a, they'll write a YSA for UVA, which really prides itself on, on student culture and everything. And then they might just try to repurpose it for UChicago. And I, I would guess that the student culture at UChicago is not very much like UVA. But it's, you know, they want you to feel like it's a warm and welcoming place, UChicago, so they're, they tell you that. There are other things that are a bit easier to get a handle on, which is clinical offerings and maybe a professor who, who studies something a little out of the way that particularly interests you and that, that sort of rhymes with something you've said in your personal statement. That can be really nice. Maybe there are externships or internships, and maybe there are also opportunities sort of in that legal market or in that city that are important to you for some reason. Maybe someone wants to go to Columbia or NYU because of its proximity to the UN for some particular reason. And then I think there's also a third, there's a third category, which is something we can talk about a little more, I think. But these are essays that are about an interaction that a student has had with the school or a visit they've made, almost always proactively, almost always for the purpose of demonstrating their interest. So maybe they have, you know, used, used LinkedIn to, to get connected with the current student and had a conversation with that person. And it's been just a really nice conversation. And that conversation gives you some material to say, you know, these are the specific things I like about the school. But it also just on in a sort of surface level, it is a clear indication that you're willing to make that extra effort to indicate your interest. But I think there's some there's some nuance with these interactions with managing them in a way that's authentic and credible and actually helpful. And so I, I that's one thing I would like to hear from you guys, having sat on the other side of the desk. What does it look like to you when a student comes ostensibly with questions? There must be situations where you know that the student is just, you know, here, please write my name down. Please see that I'm here, you know? Yeah. And this also kind of bleeds into just general networking protocol, right? Like when you're at a networking event, the underlying assumption, the reason why everyone is there is either to get a job or to help facilitate some other job opportunities, etc. But you know, you're also just at its heart getting to know people and, and similarly at law fairs or information sessions that are being hosted on campus, law school tours, open house days, we know that Students are doing these because they want to be here. They have an interest, etc. But we also want to help just more broadly educate them, too. We want them to help figure out, is this the right place for them? So, okay, Brigitte, did, did you attend law fairs in your previous life or were you just reading applications? I was reading applications, so I didn't I didn't attend the fairs. Uh, yep. So, man, I okay, I just wanted I'm to lucky. So, 
<laughs> so, well, you know, I actually I like lawfares. I, I I have a weird personality type where I'm kind of intrinsically introverted, and yet I really like things like lawfares. Just meeting a ton of people in a condensed period of time, telling them about the school that you work for, and also understanding that it's kind of cool to step back and think some of the students I'm talking with today will be on campus a year from now. I'll see them at graduation four years from now. You know, it's it's the circle of life, basically, which is really cool. But in these kind of events, you can also figure out really quickly the students who are coming by just to schmooze versus the ones who have legitimate questions that they want to chat about. And I'd say that for the ones who just want to come by to schmooze to check off the box, it's actually not a problem to say that. To say, hey, you know, I just wanted to come by and say hello, I'm interested in applying, and I just wanted to be able to put a name with a face, and let me tell you a little bit about myself. And, you know, maybe they ask a question or two about one of the clinics we would have or professional outcomes, because maybe this is a law fair in California. And if I'm representing Notre Dame, they just want to know about employment outcomes from Notre Dame in the California markets. So yeah, let's talk about that for a little bit. But it doesn't have to be anything over the top. And I think sometimes students worry that it has to be some sort of profound inter interaction or some sort of very memorable interaction for it to have value. And it doesn't. So even having that brief conversation, admissions people tend to remember people. They tend to remember those interactions. And then on the application, most schools will have a question that relates to, have you attended any recruitment events? If I'm reading an application and I see that we chatted with you at a law fair, or if you came to visit campus, there's a not 0% chance that I remember that. So even just that simple act of coming by and saying hello and chatting for a couple minutes does demonstrate a certain level of interest that not every applicant has. It's, it's a good thing. Right. And it shows also kind of going looking ahead on that circle of life that you're going to be comfortable with the networking and interview component that's going to be essential to getting a postgraduate job, because it's not as if firms are going to come onto campus and just hand jobs to everyone. You're going to have to interview. You're going to have to network. And that requires a little bit of legwork on your part, even at the top law schools in the country. So doing that on the front end of your admissions process is going to be really beneficial on the back end, too. It's, it's demonstrating to me that you already have that skill set, which can sometimes be challenging to teach folks. So, yeah, I always love the law fairs, and, and I love the ones that had good food. The LSAC ones had good post-event bars that were available. So thank you to all the people who registered for all those LSATs. I have a question to kind of follow up on that. I mean, I think, yes, if you can, sometimes our students ask, should they go to a law fair? If they can, it is interesting and they should. At a minimum, you'll get some information. You might also get some contacts or, or see other students and learn something from them. So I think it's a good thing to do. There are also other recruiting events, which you may know more about than me, but where they might have dinners or they might select a certain from a certain employer or that they like to recruit from or even certain demographics that they're trying to diversify on their campus. So if you get invited to one of those, that's even all the more interesting and important because I think the interest level is higher and the school knows this is a potential student for us. It's not just some random person who showed up at a law fair who might not have anywhere near the medians. You're kind of pre-selected. So I think I think that's really great. A third thing I'm seeing now with internet and all of this is that that people are, you know, emailing folks, going on chats and trying to make connections with students that way, which I think is great. And in a certain way, I wonder if that's going to overwhelm students at some point, because I mean, I know that it's overwhelmed professors and I think, but let's talk about it. it uh, do you mean current law students or? or yeah, yeah. Current okay, law yeah, students yeah. at, you know, Notre Dame or at Penn or whatever. I think we're getting a little bit of pushback from admissions for requests for speaking with professors, right? They're trying to put up a bar like before you're admitted, I, we just cannot 
not have our professors spend time like this. What about students? Is there is there a danger that there's going to be a pushback there or there's just enough students out in the world willing to have these conversations? Sure. And I think we need to separate two things on that question. One is where there's one category, which is the law schools making their students available. So for example, saying, hey, here's our student ambassador team. If you would like to talk with a real life student at our school, here's how you can reach out to our ambassador team. And in that same category, I'd say would be prospective students reaching out to an admissions office saying, hey, could I talk with a current student now? The reason why some schools are or some admissions offices are hesitant about that is like Brigitte noted, you know, they want to protect their students from having 50 emails from prospective students. And because the current law student may not have signed up for that necessarily. So a student ambassador has signed up for that. So that's part of of their either volunteer or paid gig on being an ambassador. But then there's a second category, which no law school can control, which is just general networking. You can't control the Notre Dame undergrad who contacts the Notre Dame undergrad alum who is a current student at the University of Virginia Law School. And they may have found that through LinkedIn. They may have found that through the Notre Dame alumni network. They may be friends from the dorm back at Notre Dame. You don't know. And there's no way for an admissions office to, I don't want to say protect their current students or to outlaw these kinds of communications. So I I think when I'm talking with my students, that's the route I usually suggest. So see if that first category is available. See if a law school does make certain students available for conversation. But if not, Let's utilize your professional network. This is a great opportunity if you're not already on LinkedIn to get on LinkedIn. In a related note, a lot of this kind of research I emphasize to students is not just for the purposes of improving your application. It's also for down the road. If you get admitted, you're going to have to research these schools before you spend three years and several hundred thousand dollars there. So you're just accelerating that research process. Similarly with LinkedIn, I understand that for many students, there's a certain eye roll about this particular social network, but I do inform them that I share that eye roll. One, two, you know who's on LinkedIn? Old people. And do you know who's going to hire you for your job? Old people. And especially law firms. Law firms utilize LinkedIn significantly. So, hey, do you want a job? If yes, then guess what? It's time to start playing the game, friend. So get on LinkedIn, utilize your undergraduate alumni network, especially if you went to a big state school or you went to, and I I mean this politely, an undergraduate institution, a smaller college or university that places a heavy emphasis on community and alumni network. Now I'm putting this in parentheses, i.e. places like the University of Notre Dame that places a huge emphasis on networking, alumni connections, blah, blah, blah. Hey, guys, guess what? Now's the time to start making those connections because students from your undergrad school are everywhere or graduated from everywhere a couple of years ago, and you can start reaching out to them and having those conversations. So so again, to, to recap, you know, to step back to your original question, Brigida, yeah, I, I certainly understand why admissions offices would maybe be hesitant in establishing those ties or being the facilitator of those ties and connections between prospective students and admitted students. They tend to be a lot more willing to do so once a student has been admitted. However, that second category, just the student doing it their own networking, the applicant doing their own networking and reaching out to current students, yeah, law schools can't do anything about that. And I, I don't think they would want to get into that area because that'd get problematic really quickly for those guys. So yeah, what do you think of that though? 
there's also a sense in which that second category you mentioned can can give students particularly interesting things to say in their why statements because if they're mobilizing their net you know it's not just a professional network it can be a personal network it can be my student mike acevedo who's been on the podcast reached out to veterans at every school with specific questions about programs available to veterans you know i think conceivably financing type stuff sort of volunteering opportunities but there you know there's other things like somebody who who's you may not know them but maybe they have a background similar to yours maybe they're working in a clinic that particularly interests you and they're probably doing that because they really believe in it and they're going to want to talk to you if you also really believe in it. So it enables you to get sort of under the surface, whereas with a student ambassador, you're going to be, you're getting a sales pitch to a certain extent. Yeah. I would also, I'd want to build off your comment about veterans groups. Other students who really want to know on the front end, is the school going to, is there a community here for me? People who share my background, people who get me, and is the school going to be welcoming to me? So another group that immediately comes to mind would be LGBTQ students. You know, is there a queer community at the school? Is the school friendly? What is the situation like? You know, I mean, I would hope that admissions offices would certainly be willing and want to or more willing to have that conversation, facilitate those connections on the front end because they don't want to waste anyone's time if it wouldn't be a good environment. And again, certainly on the back end, post-admit, they'll help to facilitate those connections too. But point being, I'd, I'd really want to emphasize to students that if you want to determine if it's a good place for you to go, you know, as, and, and if that's a determining, fa a determining factor in whether or not you should even apply, heck, do your research, make your connections. It's not going to hurt you as, as long as you're not a jerk, as long as you're not a jerk, which I know is just a general life rule, but, you know, also I suppose worth saying. That's the seven sage. Yeah, that's the motto. Don't be a jerk. Well, it, hey, maybe on that note, we we can transition. Should we talk about good examples of these, what you should write about? Or as far as being a jerk, should we talk about what not to do on your high school X statements? I, I feel like, you know, it's it, usually we, we reflexively start with here's what to do. But this is this is one where what not to do can sometimes be a little more, I don't know, cathartic. Well, I want to, can I emphasize one more thing before we leave the interactions part? So you, you mentioned kind of in passing that it's, it's a, at a law fair, it is perfectly fine for a student to come up and say, I just want you to be able to put a name with a face, right? Which means, you know, I don't have a question, but I'm interested in this school. You know what I'm doing here. I'm showing you my face, you know? I think the reason that is valuable is the same reason that speaking enthusiastically about a clinic is valuable, which is that you're not you're not trying to trick anyone. You're you're coming to it from a place of sincerity. So I I think really any of those interactions that you're approaching in in good faith that that's the way you have to do it. I'm thinking of a, a student this year. I can't really give any information because I want to protect their anonymity, but he, there was a character and fitness issue that was not at all damning, but very unusual and sort of hard to understand. And he approached a, a admissions person at a law fair and said, essentially, I'm really worried this is going to torpedo my application. <laughs> like, what do you think about that? And because the anxiety was just so sincere, it wasn't, it didn't come across, I don't think, as any kind of like trying to get an advantage, trying to make, make the application memorable. Really, it was a request for information. And he ended up being admitted to the school where he'd had that interaction because I think it was so clear, you know, that the sincerity and the, and the concern and then sort of earnest interest all came through and helped sort of 
to contextualize that issue before they even had to read the addendum or whatever it was. Right. Well, and on that note, too, I want to mention or maybe just dispel a myth about admissions officers. I think if you read the law school admissions subreddit, and when I talk with some of my students, they seem very apprehensive of reaching out to admissions offices. And I get the impression because they think that these are mean people or they're looking for reasons not to admit you. So any interaction is more likely to hurt than to help, to which I would say, actually, you will never meet a more affable group of people <laughs> than admissions officers. Like You tend to want to work in admissions because you like people and you like these interactions. And also professionally, admissions officers know that they serve a dual purpose. And one purpose is to serve as gatekeepers, evaluators, determining who's admitted and who isn't. But then they are also recruiters. So once they open up the gate to let you in, they want to recruit you to their school. And certainly during the summer and fall months, when schools are really out there on the road at law fairs, they're in recruitment mode. They want to help educate. They want to help encourage. And they're here to be helpful. So yeah, come on by and, and ask your questions. Now's a great time to do it and to rely on their professional advice rather than to rely on the advice of random people on a message board somewhere which I, I find students sometimes that gets them into trouble as opposed to just calling up the admissions officer, stopping by the table at a law fair and just asking away. Yeah, I wanted to second that because I, I sometimes share their concern like, oh, they don't want to annoy the admissions officer. They don't want to overburden them. But I just said, just yesterday, I had a, a student I'm working with who had a very unique situation. And I said, you know what? I'm not sure. I haven't seen that. Why don't you call two or three admissions offices? And he did. He got great advice back like, literally the same day. And we moved on. It was really, that was really good for him to do. And also, you know, good for me to have now this knowledge. But I also wanted to say one other thing about content. Because we've talked about, let's say there's a, a professor that does a certain kind of work or teaches a certain kind of class and you're super into that. I think that is good fodder for a YX. You want to hedge a little bit because we have had folks comment that, you know, sometimes these professors go away for three years or leave for, you know, to for a different law school. You don't want to put all your eggs in that basket. What if the admissions knows that that superstar professor with that superstar niche area is going to a different law school? You don't want to write your whole YX about that. But it is fair enough to write to include that and maybe, you know, don't hang it all on one professor. So I, I would suggest that because we don't always know you can't Google and, and, you know, the professor's not announcing as of this semester, I'm no longer at you know Berkeley, I'm going to Chicago. They don't do it that way. So be a little careful about that. But as long as you, you couch it in a bigger context, I think it's it can be really helpful. So as far as when should you and what should you include? I know Aaron's already covered that a good bit. And Brigitte, I really love that comment. I, I think to add off your comment, you want to be specific enough where it's clear you've done research. It's clear that you've done some networking. Sometimes you don't need to be super specific, though, because you may not know that that one faculty member, not only are they going on leave, but it may just be that faculty member who actually they really don't teach anymore. You know, they're kind of more around to write books, so to speak. So if you're speaking more generally, though, about I want to attend your school because you have a program of study in this field, and this is what I want to pursue. And then maybe you go into some specifics about a clinic or about some faculty. That's OK. But at least you're, you're acknowledging that bigger point, that bigger interest right away. I'll also throw out there for the should you include a statement and, and where I really encourage students to include this, this information. Yeah, if you have those specific reasons. So whether it be personal, whether it be professional, I would introduce another category, which is you should consider writing the statement 
if you are really interested in the school, but if there's seemingly no reason on the surface of your application why you may be interested in attending that school. And so to give an example, maybe someone is applying to Berkeley and they have no ties to the West Coast. They are born and raised in New Jersey. They are going to undergrad at Boston College. They have worked post-grad in the New York City market. So if you're in the Berkeley admissions office, you may look at that demographic information and, and ask, well, then why us? Because they seem pretty entrenched out there. So why are they interested? But what do you guys think about that? Well, I, yeah, I, I was thinking... This is sort of the opposite case, but it's the same point. Jake, you and I had a student this year, incredibly impressive and interesting person who's on her way to Harvard and also had an offer from UChicago, I believe. But we were talking about whether she should write an essay, a why essay for UChicago. And you said, anyone at UChicago looking at your resume and personal statement is going to see that you were a perfect fit for UChicago. So you don't have to write a why essay. What would you add to it? The whole thing is already making the argument. And I thought that was really interesting, you know, that, thinking about it in that mechanical way was really interesting. I mean, that's, you know, the question was already answered. It wasn't going to come up after the, the essay. And I think that my experience at Notre Dame is actually a good one. It's a good example of a school where you don't necessarily need to write one. It's, it's a very unique and very weird school in a lot of ways. And I, and I mean weird in a good way, because it is the rare top 25, top 30 school that is not located in a major legal market. But yet, conversely, it has high name recognition, but really high name recognition among a certain type of person, especially American Catholics and et cetera, et cetera. And so for Notre Dame, I would certainly understand why the Catholic kid from the Chicago suburbs is applying to Notre Dame. But now what about the kid who's from one of the coasts and doesn't really have a tie with us who may not be Catholic, etc.? But then if we read their personal statement, and it was all about this greater sense of wanting to use the law to serve social justice. Well, yeah, there you go, man. That's right up Notre Dame's alley, certainly. Or at least how we've would feel about the mission of the university right up our alley. So I think that would fit in that same example of, I feel this student is a good fit. I hope that they know that they're a good fit, even if they don't write the why Notre Dame statement. And if they don't, if we admit them, it is now my job as a recruiter to tell this student that they are a perfect fit for us. And here are the specific reasons why they should come to my school. So there, there is that category of, if you are just very clearly up this school's alley, it may not be necessary to write one, unless you have something further to add to what's already intrinsically woven through the rest of your uh, statements. Yeah, I, I wanted to add a couple things to that. I, I remember back when I worked at UVA, the way that we would look at it is if you write an essay, a YX essay, it could help. If you don't write one, it's not going to hurt you. So if they want to recruit you, they're going to recruit you even if you didn't say you particular YX. So I thought that was really interesting because I would have thought it could possibly hurt you if you didn't have one. But that anyway, that was the word of the day at that time. I do think it, it also, if you have, if you just don't have the numbers, you can't write your way into the school with a YX. That alone is not going to do it. It's, it's a nuanced thing that might help a little. Like I said, maybe you won't hurt or maybe in some cases, some schools, it would hurt a little bit not to do one. So I, I think it's just in that kind of pretty narrow context where, where that operates. I did want to ask about the T4 because for a long time or for several years, we were saying, you know, the T4 doesn't want a YX from you. They, they know, you know, Harvard, Stanford, Yale, et cetera, Chicago, possibly. They know if you want to come. I mean, you want to come. Who wouldn't want to come, right? Has that changed? Has that advice changed with this mixing up of things under the U.S. News and World Report drama? That's a pregnant pause and a deep sigh on my part. Every, every time anyone brings up the rankings drama, that's my initial reaction is just, uh, I think independent of the rankings 
Brahma, I think it comes back to to specificity. And if there's something really specific that is drawing you to a school, and if you have some sort of odd tie that you you should bring up. I mean, you should tell someone if your partner is a grad, current grad student in another department at that university. I, I think it can be woven briefly even into the personal statement. And so it's not a full Y school X statement, but it's still useful for the admissions office to hear about those reasons. So that's my two cents. It doesn't have to be over the top. But again, if you have something specific, it doesn't hurt you to bring it in. It can only help. But what do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I would be pretty cautious about it. I mean, I've uh, Harvard's dean said a couple years ago, you know, really like discourage people from sending one. I went to Yale, you know, of course, of course, Harvard would do that. Not a welcoming place. But (laughs) I think this is the moment where we have to say on our podcast that the views of our hosts are not reflective (laughs) of Seven Sages' (laughs) official stances about any law schools and/or universities. But do continue. I was actually I was insulting Yale the other day, also. So who knows what I think? But I I think what you say. Like maybe there is a weird thing that they would otherwise have no way of knowing that they might want to know, you know, like whatever it is. It's and, and probably, you know, a personal connection or like an ultra specific intellectual interest. Beyond those things, it's hard. It's hard to imagine that it could help. I mean, I suppose there are there are those students with perfect numbers and incredible resumes who are going to get offers from all those schools. And like maybe those schools are thinking, you know, are they going to accept our offer? But like, it's hard to imagine really that there are that many kids in that bucket. Well, and actually, Aaron, that comment also brings in another category of students that I think where I think the the school specific statement can be useful. And it's this could be a, a can of worms to open, but the students who may be concerned about yield protection at a school. And so ever so briefly, let's define yield protection. So part of the U.S. News Rankings formula, at least as of right now, when we're recording this podcast, is your admit rate. How? What's the percentage of students you had to admit out of your applicant pool? And it's better to admit a lower percentage of that group. And so that means you want a higher percentage of the students you admit to actually accept your offer of admission, okay? Whatever you think of that, that probably makes sense. But now let's flip things on its head. So Aaron, you mentioned the student with the perfect scores and the amazing, the immaculate resume. Let's make it even better. So let's say I am back in my former position at Notre Dame Law School, and I have a student who's applying with a 40180 and an immaculate resume. I know statistically the chances of this student coming to Notre Dame if we admit them are nearly zero because if they are applying to us, they're they're surely applying to other schools too. And if they're admitted by Harvard or Yale or Stanford, there there is a zero percent chance they're coming to Notre Dame. We have years of data from LSAC actually that informs us of that. So strategically. If I'm trying to max out my U.S. news rankings, and I'm not saying I did or didn't, but if I'm a school that does put that at the forefront of our admission strategy, does it behoove me to admit the student who, again, has a 0% chance of coming here? But now there's never a 0% chance, right? We would get a cross-admit with Harvard to come to Notre Dame once every, you know, four years, five years, something like that. Or, we, you know, we get two in a particular year. Now, who are those two? Those two are people who are just extraordinarily perfect fits for Notre Dame versus Harvard. And those are students that probably it's self-evident in their application that they'd be perfect for us. But it could also be a student who specifies that to us directly, that, yes, you guys are among 
among my top choices. You are my top choice for these specific reasons. So it helps to protect you from maybe being waitlisted at schools where your stats are way over their medians, and they may be worried about whether or not you'd even bother attending. That kind of crosses over into to if that does happen to you, how to address that in the Lokis. But I know that's the conversation for, for, for a different episode, but it'll be fun to, to dig into that. Let's talk a little bit about when you shouldn't do a statement. And one, one thing <laughs> comes to mind, like every once in a while, I'll be talking to someone and they'll say, I'm only applying to these schools because they're T14 and I don't want to go there. I can't imagine anything I'm going to say about it. Do I have to do a YX? Well, then the answer is no. <laughs> don't do a YX because it's not going to be a very good one. So yeah, I mean, it should be sincere. It should have something specific. You should care enough about the school to make the extra effort. And if you can't bother to do that or find that depth of, of interest, then yeah, skip it. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say it, basically. <laughs> right? and, and I think that also ties in with, with advice I give to students of, if you're only applying because of a rank and there's nothing else, should you really apply? Yeah. Or should you do more research to see whether or not it'd be a good... I mean, you could save yourself some application fee money and just not apply there, right? But yeah, Aaron, it sounded like you were about to say something about that. No, it's just that you'd think that, you know, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything would be would be clear. But you, but sometimes there are YSAs that maybe, maybe it's even in sort of good faith. They end up like insulting another school or something, which, you know, don't do that. And if it's clear that the research is only surface level based, and I, I would say surface level research would be just very generic comments about one or two classes, or if you're repeating language directly back from the admissions office's website, that's a bad sign. What are some other good if, red flags? If it's okay. Like you're, you're applying to a lot of schools. Maybe you want to do a number of these YXs. It's okay to sort of have a layout that you then adapt to a school. That, that's just practical. You know, people don't have unending hours to work on this. However, if it's so generic that you could basically just take out, you know, Duke and put in UCLA and nothing else has to change, then, then that's a good sign that it's a little too generic. And you really do need to dig into the specific reasons why you're interested in that school or, or the other. And I would say that for your top four or five schools, there are probably very specific reasons why you're applying. For schools six through 10 on your application list, there may not be super specific reasons. And so, you know, as far as the research I encourage students to do, I don't fight them as much if we're talking about school number nine on their list. I really encourage them that when they tell me this is my dream school, I encourage them to do some further research interactions, networking, et cetera, with that dream school. So that you're sure it's the dream school and you can incorporate that material in. But yeah, you have to pick your battles. So, hey, Aaron, any other red flags that you could think of? I can think of one other sort of subtle one, which is extravagant praise of the school, which just it's very hard to do that in a way that's credible. <laughs> but it's like I it also actually kind of, you know, for it doesn't seem believable, but it also to the extent that it is believable might raise the might inspire the thought that you're just applying because of the prestige, you know, the ranking, whatever, which isn't a valid reason. So let me give a shout out to my younger sister on that one, who in her undergraduate applications, I, I had the, the fun of proofreading. She was applying to, oh man, somewhere in Bloomington, Illinois, Illinois State, maybe, or Illinois Wesley. And she had this entire statement about how amazing Bloomington, Illinois was. And look, like, I've been to Bloomington. <laughs> I had family live in Bloomington. I had a cousin one time who was living there because she worked at State Farm Corporate set. When I asked her, like, how's it going? Direct quote, it's okay as long as I don't die here. <laughs> I am in Bloomington, Illinois. 
It's like, I don't know, little sis. I, I think the people at Illinois Wesleyan or Illinois State, they know who they are and where you don't need to make Bloomington into anything. It's not. OK, so let's tone down the rhetoric a little. I totally agree with that. And I often will say in the in the side comments, this language is too flowery for me. And yeah, you don't need the overheated praise, but you also don't need the super stuffy, like your esteemed institution or, you know, your whatever faculty. I mean, they know their fact. It just, yeah, it, it, it's either too generic, too staid or just too flowery. So you got to hit that right note of genuine. One other thing that's different from that that bothers me sometimes is when there's a kind of a backhanded compliment that they do in the in the YX, like some people may think, whatever, Georgetown's classes are too big. It doesn't bother me because blah, blah, blah. Take it out. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say, make sure you actually have your, your facts right, too. So, oh, gosh, people who would say that they're interested in coming to Notre Dame because the lovely winter weather. I don't know about that, guys. Like, <laughs> I live here still and like the lake effect snow is, you know, just a part of the reality we deal with in order to have wonderful May, June, July, spring and summertime. So get your ducks in a row. Some people may love winter. It bothers me more every year, winter. The people, the people who love winter are really just saying that to themselves to feel better about getting through winter. Because if, you've, if you say it enough times, then it's not as bad. And actually, it's not as bad as it used to be because of global warming. <laughs> I actually do love winter, but I live in Los Angeles. So there you go. <laughs> so well, that... so winter is just a concept. I like when I go places where they have actual winter, but it's not that I choose to live in a place that has actual winter. But yeah. Well, it's like exercise. Part of the part of the pleasure of it is when you're done doing it, you know. Oh, exactly. When, when the snow actually melts up oh, best, other than mud season, where all the, the roads turn into slop and what have you. OK, well, on this note, other things to avoid. And, you know, Brigitte, you said earlier, you can write one. You cannot write one. You know, writing one may be a little bit of a nudge in your category. Not writing one may be a troll, etc. It's really rare to see something that is so egregious that it actually hurts you. And I think certainly not having your factual ducks in a row can be an example. I would also offer, I mean, the one time I can point to where a student actually negatively harmed their application was on a school-specific statement. So when I was working at Notre Dame, and I gave this example before of a student who probably doesn't have to write a wide Notre Dame statement is one who makes a lot of sense for Notre Dame Law School. And in this case, it was a student from the Chicago suburbs, I believe Catholic. So, you know, as far as the demographics of who may be attracted to this university, here you go. Here's one of our primary markets, the Chicagoland area. Good stats, had a good academic background, perfectly solid resume, wrote a personal statement that clearly articulated what he wanted to achieve in law school. And it's a field that Notre Dame law has. So check, 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 we're all good to go. And the last document in the application or the, the sequencing of the documents in the Notre Dame application go personal statement, resume, and then why Notre Dame? So if he had just stopped there, he would have been admitted. He would have gotten a scholarship. The world would have been his oyster. But he did not stop there. So he did choose to write a why Notre Dame statement. And it was two pages of, hey, I don't know why you make this optional because we really know it's not optional. It's required. And I just have to tell you, this is so stupid. Why do I want to go to Notre Dame? Because it's a good school. End of discussion. But I guess you want me just to pump you up a little. So here we go. Flowery, flowery, flowery language. You're just making me write this because of some, you know, satisfying some need in your ego because you weren't admitted to Harvard for law school, blah, blah, blah. 
I bet you haven't even read this far, but if you have, I just want to again emphasize this is a waste of everyone's time. And no, again, two full pages. I mean, I kind of want to meet the guy, though. Don't you want? <laughs> you know? that, that was quite the gutsy move. OK, we actually <laughs> had, do you think that was intentional, though? Because I mean, I, this I don't know where I'm going at. He, oh, no, he, I mean, he wrote that irritated that he had to write YX and then uploaded the wrong document. Forget it. You know what? <laughs> We've had a lot of con we had a significant conversation about that. So because for those who may not be familiar with this application process, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably aren't. You will have to upload. PDF documents to each individual school's application. Just as a matter of organization, I always recommend that you make the, the document title specific. So personal statement underscore Georgetown, personal statement underscore Yale, just so that there's no confusion and you don't goof up and actually accidentally say the wrong school's name in your document. So I hear what you're saying, Brigida. He may have written this in a moment of passion, but I will say it was very well written. So if he just whipped this out, kudos, because it was rather refined in its burns, to use the parlance of our time. So if he did it in a moment of passion and just uploaded the wrong document, isn't that a problem for his potential as a lawyer? Because at some point, you're going to be working on a case and you're going to have to share documents with opposing counsel and you got to make sure you, you send the right documents. And I'm thinking of the case of InfoWars, Alex Jones and the Newtown families, where his counsel accidentally sent the wrong cache of emails and text messages to opposing counsel and opposing counsel got to reveal them during the trial. There was an actual Perry Mason moment in a high stakes trial. It never happens. Right. And so, man, if he whiffed this bad, dang, or he did it intentionally, in which case that's bad. Because you're going to have to interview for jobs, right? And you can't, people are going to ask you, why do you want this job? And your answer can't be, that's a stupid question. It's because you're a good law firm, dummy. Yeah. yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. No, either way, so, it's not a good, it's not a good sign. I just, I do wonder what, which of the two it was, because the judgment of the, of the first one is just almost unbelievably bad. And then the carelessness of the second one is a little more humanly possible, but still not great. Correct. So lesson of the story, boys and girls, don't do that. Like if you're going to write a, a burn book or a burn document, put that in a completely separate folder on your hard drive or in, if you're a Google documents person, completely separate doc folder. There is no way these documents will ever anywhere close to your application. Or better yet, turn it into an op-ed that you publish on some blog, you know, with ideas for admissions reform. I think it's a, it, I think it's a sector ripe for reform, and it'd be great to hear from applicants' views on all the, all the things that drive them nuts. Politely and professionally. Maybe anonymously. <laughs> anonymously. and Ab yeah, ab yeah. Absolutely 100% anonymously, right. <laughs> and not referenced. Let alone to, to, with your name in the exactly, header. Exactly. <laughs> not to a school you're trying to get into. Oh, exactly. So, okay, now that I've scared everyone who's listening to this podcast. Any other notes or comments we want to make sure that we leave our audience with before we wrap up? Don't cut and paste text that contains the name of another school. That's a bad one, too. <laughs> if you take nothing away from this podcast, right, save those documents with the school's name in the document title. Don't be that kid. Yeah, it actually, I, I, many times, more than a dozen over the years that I was working at UVA, 
I would read personal statements or YX statements that that said the wrong school in there. So it does happen. And I am, you know, Chicago might have gotten UVAs and UVAs got Chicago's, but it did happen. And I wouldn't say it's deadly for the application because, you know, it is there's a lot of pieces and, you know, we can be kind and think somebody just made it made an error, but it isn't a good look. Absolutely. And so in a note of just being detail oriented, I'll, I'll share a less serious Notre Dame one. So this is only one that the Catholic kids out there will get. But when you refer to Notre Dame as a Jesuit institution, no, it is not. And the Jesuits would be the first to tell you. And <laughs> I, I look forward to the comments from our audience, the ones who say, yep, that makes sense. And the others who say, I don't know what they're talking about, but it sounds serious. So, hey, everyone, we hope you enjoyed this discussion about Y School X statements and, and that you're ready to start that networking and research component on your applications. Please join us next time with our next episode of the Seven Sage Admissions Podcast, How to Get into Law School. Please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and join us next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of How to Get into Law School, a Seven Sage podcast. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. If you're interested in more help and guidance for getting into law school, also check out our website at sevensage.com. That's the number seven, S-A-G-E.com. You can learn more about our LSAT course and tutoring, as well as the work that our professional admissions and writing consultants can do to help you with your applications. You can even schedule a free consultation with our LSAT tutors and with our admissions consultants.